This week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about, I think for many students, sort of a worst case scenario, which is having to move into a reapplication cycle. It can be incredibly emotionally draining, very demotivating, and even sometimes dehumanizing, experiencing a lack of interest in your application. So this week, we're going to talk about what we have seen over our time working with these students, what we've seen work well, and some advice for students who are facing this status for themselves and how to make the most of it. So buckle up and join us for another week. Hello, and welcome back to the Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State, the show to help all pre-health students on their journeys to acceptance. I'm John Moses Bronson, and once again, I'm joined by Kimberly Johnson. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, how are you? I'm good. It's um, very cold today. It is the coldest day I remember in several years. It's really cold. It's chilly. But we're here. We're in the studio. We have fuzzy sweaters and blankets. I also have, um, on the way to my home, two very thick, warm fleece blankets that I ordered off the internet because I need warm blankets everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) We use blankets in the car for my son because uh, puffy coats are not recommended to be paired with car seats. Yeah. So... Our car is also full of blankets. I always felt so bad, like, back in the day when my sister's kids were little, like, clicking them in there. Because, like, it does restrict your movement, too. But also, like, I get hot in the front seat where I can control the temperature and can take a jacket off. You can't take a jacket off. Nope. (laughs) Anyway, I think we've tangented it enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But... Our episode this week is, I think, a tough one for a lot of students because it's not particularly exciting. This isn't a fun chat that we have to have, that they have. I think advisors could sometimes feel the same way. Yeah. It's difficult, especially if it's a student that I've seen struggle and I, I know what they're capable of and I know what that next step can look like for them, but they perhaps weren't fully cooked. And sometimes that allows you to actually drum up some enthusiasm. Yeah. But it's hard to summon the enthusiasm for a reapplication cycle until you can really see the progress yeah. that's been made. Because otherwise it kind of just feels like you're kind of repeating this process that already didn't work. Yeah. But there's a few tips that we have. Yeah. That I think can get us all to the point of being a little more excited. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that I always start with students on this is that your application should look like it's related to your old application but I don't know that it should look like it's sibling. I think this needs 
cousins? It needs to be a cousin. Yeah, we don't want anything. We don't want you to appear as sort of stag stagnant or yeah. unable to progress in your interests and your professional goals mm-hmm. despite not having achieved this next educational step because there are a lot of interim steps and achievements that are out there that are not the same as getting into a new educational program. Yeah. And I think it's really tempting, especially for students that are like, well, I had like three or four interviews. I got a lot of good responses from schools. I just didn't quite make it. Let me just redo the same thing. And for the reapplicants that sort of take that approach, it doesn't particularly go well. I've seen students that had five or six interviews end up with nothing in the subsequent cycle because it was a repeat. And schools really don't like that. It will have been a year at least-ish. Mm-hmm since you put in your last application and with such high achieving applicants, they're going to be looking to see how that year was spent. Yeah. Not that that year was spent as sort of you taking for granted that you were going to have a spot at the conclusion of that process. They want to see someone who's so enthusiastic about what's next in their professional life Mm -hmm. that they're still pursuing it over the course of this year, regardless of how the application process works out for them. Yeah. I think a big part of being a good reapplicant is understanding where things didn't land. So that can occur in a lot of different places for students. You know, we've both worked with tons of reapplicants and, you know, for some students, it for one student, I was like, oh, you have a not great letter in your letter set. Really wish you would have worked with us. This could have been a conversation for us. Like Once there was a student that had a letter of recommendation that was one sentence long. That's I was horrified when I saw that letter. And so, you know, because of how FERPA works and confidentiality around letters of recommendation, I couldn't be like, yo, dog, this letter's crap (laughs) as much as I wanted to. But like my like super sneaky, nefarious way of going about it was, you know, maybe we need to reconsider whether or not this voice is an important one in your letter set. Definitely said that before. (laughs) Mm So I think, you know, this is an example of understanding what went wrong. And there's a lot of places you can go to get that information. And it's also about being realistic about what it takes Mm -hmm. to then correct that. Mm-hmm. And not just correct it to the level that it should have been during the first application cycle, but bring it up to that next level mm-hmm. of someone who's had an additional year mm-hmm. plus to work in that area. Yeah, there's a there's a raised expectation level and you need to meet it. Not always play catch up. Yeah. And And so often that translates into after a successful cycle, taking a year off. It's a really hard conversation to have with students. 
about my reapplicants that have taken a year off? Oh, boy, howdy. So I much better. <laughs> presented that idea to someone today. Mm-hmm. I just said, hey, I like all this, all the ideas that you just presented to me in terms of improving your application. Yeah. But I have one suggestion here that's a little bit different than what you said. Instead of trying to do all of that in the next three months, mm-hmm. four months maybe, how about we do that over the next year and four months? And there was some quiet for a second. Mm-hmm. Which is very reasonable. Yeah. That's hard. But then when you start to think logistically how luxurious it would feel to spread this crunch of activities and catching up into from like a three to four month period to over more than a year, Mm -hmm. suddenly it's like, oh, like I could present myself as a very different applicant if I just slow down a little bit. Yeah, if we think about it in sort of like a more visual way, one thing that we know as pre-health advisors is that a lot of schools will look at a Gantt chart version of your work and activities and experiences and achievements, depending on the service you're looking at, and showing a big, huge rush of things right at the end before an application gets submitted looks far less impressive than having these long, sustained lines of engagement. It presents itself very differently in your ability to make commitments and your ability to follow through on the things that you say are important to you. Just visually, not even reading anything that you've written about it, at a quick glance, you look completely differently. Mm-hmm. So let's loop back around to determining what it is that you need to do to improve yourself as an applicant. Yeah. How we talked about a couple different ways of Mm -hmm. judging what needs to be done or reflecting or gaining that information. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that we were thinking about when we said that was actually going straight to the admissions offices Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, I submitted an application this past cycle, didn't get an offer, didn't get an interview. Could I please take some of your time to learn more about what I could do to become a stronger applicant in a future cycle to go over my application with you and learn what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. And some admissions offices will say no, and that's fair, but some, especially if they saw something that they liked in your application, they'll want to invest a little bit of time because they, they see the potential in what you could be. And doesn't it feel so much better to come up with a plan for reapplying when you're not guessing as Uh to what sort of the wizard behind the curtain is thinking? Yeah. Having a very frank, straightforward conversation with a missions officer is so much help. And then you take that information and you bring it to your pre-health advisor. Yeah. Which at Penn State, we are your pre-health advisor for as long as you need a pre-health advisor. That's right. It does not matter if you have graduated. Mm-hmm. So you loop back around to us and you say, listen, here are my application materials from before. This is the feedback that I've gotten from some of the schools that I applied to. Mm-hmm. And I'd really like to talk about what a reapplication would look like for me and the best timeline and how to approach it. Yeah. 
we are sort of your experts on logistics, approach, um, narrative, telling, overall application strategy. You know, an admissions officer can't go into that level of detail with you, but we certainly can. And, you know, we've mentioned this on this podcast before, but, you know, we have friends that are in admissions. And thankfully, many of them are very forthcoming with information. (laughs) And it's information we will pass upon to you. It's also great growth opportunities for us as advisors to Mm. communicate with admissions and see what is it about this particular application that didn't quite meet the mark so that we can make sure that future students don't make that same mistake. Yeah. You know, I think collectively our office has like quite a bit of experience and individually I think we have a pretty decent amount of experience as well. But admissions changes every year it ebbs and it flows and we're starting to see that with how certain schools you know demographics are shifting and changing and so sometimes what on the surface looks like a very stellar applicant to us may not be hitting the mark of what a particular application year is looking for and understanding that is helpful to us to see where the trends are heading for schools, right? And we follow those trends as best we can, but sometimes admissions officers are really good at talking to each other, but they don't always necessarily let the rest of us in. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about, I think that every year Mm -hmm. I do see someone coming to me for reapplication who really doesn't need to take that extra time. Mm-hmm. It was more about sometimes the thought and the care and the timing mm-hmm. that went into the first application. Yeah, Let's talk about that because we can't just submit the same exact materials. That I won't ever advise, even if I say, okay, I understand why you want to reapply right now rather than waiting another year. Yeah. Um, because some of the things that we're looking at at this point are – when did you submit your primary? Yeah. Were they waiting on your MCAT score or some letters? Did you get sick right around the time that you were hoping to submit your secondaries and so get them in a few weeks later than you expected? We're looking at all these different elements. Maybe you didn't utilize pre-health advising to Mm -hmm. the full extent the first time around, but there really is some good stuff there. We just need to figure out the packaging as you like to say, John. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's figuring out what the picture of a puzzle is knowing that you don't have all the pieces yet. And so sometimes you have to call around to find the other pieces. Sometimes you just have to, you have to get more of those puzzle pieces to look at the overall picture more. And it's kind of fun. It can be very frustrating too, especially when I'm like, I know that there's something good here, but I am missing something. And you know, I think we've all had this moment of like being like two or three sessions in with a student and finally having a light bulb moment of like, oh, okay, got Got it. it. And then it can completely change how I start working with students. Right. I think like on average, I tend to be quite like blunt and direct with students. And that works really well for a lot of the students that work with me. Right. I, 
but occasionally I will pick up on subtle clues of like, ah, this is going to need a coating of sugar too. <laughs> um, and I don't naturally sugar coat, but I sometimes that's what a student needs to really hear what I'm saying. I don't change what I'm saying. No. It just sounds a little sweeter. Well, you're trying to tailor your advising mm-hmm. to the individual who's sitting there in front of you because we don't yeah. all hear and receive mm-hmm. difficult and complex bits of information in the same way. Yeah. And that I also say that because if you see like a change in your advisor and how they're approaching working with you, it's probably because we have observed something. And we're trying out a new approach that we think will work better for you. Right? Like, I think we run into this every year. And I I see it more with my reapplicants, to be honest, is that especially if they didn't use pre-health advising a lot in the first cycle, that in their second cycle, they almost become completely reliant on our perspective and won't do anything unless they've like worked with us through it. And so sometimes it, it looks like I'm like, pushing a student away by being like, Hey, I need you to work on this and come back when you've finished it. Like, I don't want to see an in-process thing. Like give me a fully fleshed out version of this. And it's because I need to build back up that student's confidence in themselves. I always just described the application cycle as like the longest waiting game of your life. Uh-huh. I mean, John and I both know what it's like to wait to hear back about a job after you've applied. Mm-hmm. And in that case, we're talking about like six weeks, maybe. I mean, sometimes it's longer, certainly. But like six weeks is like a very normal time to sometimes wait Mm -hmm. to hear back about a job. And it feels like a lifetime. Yeah. And the thing is, for jobs, like you usually have a couple of irons in the fire. Yeah. You're trying stuff out. You've got a few other things you're keeping your eye on. Yeah. When it comes to like a medical school, dental school, PA school application, like you are putting everything into that process and you might go nine months without hearing a thing. That's hard on your mental health. It is. I just hate hearing how dejected my students sound Mm -hmm. when they make an appointment with me around end of January to Mm -hmm. early March. Yeah. And they just sound so radically different than they did when they went into the process. Mm -hmm. And I know how brilliant they are. Yeah. I know they're wonderful. Brilliance was never the problem. No. And that's so often the case is that a lot of times it's not a matter of how smart you are. Like we, we see those charts every year from the double AMC showing that very tippity top corner of MCAT scores and GPAs, the students with the best metrics, a significant portion of them still don't get in. And that's really hard for us because we know how hard those students have worked. It's not a matter of you not being brilliant enough or not being hardworking enough. Sometimes it's just that the approach was incorrect. And so often it comes down to the writing. If you have really good metrics, but you're not getting any nibbles past secondaries, that is an opportunity for us to really dive deep into your writing. The other part of that is one of your favorite topics. Or is it now all of our favorite topic? Maybe. School list. Mm -hmm. School choice. School choice. I mean, if you're not applying to the right schools, it doesn't matter what your application looks like. Mm -hmm. 
not going to get an offer. Yeah, it's, it's a it's an important mix. But even if you're applying to the right schools, if your application you can't get the message across, if you can't get the message across, it doesn't matter. You'd be applying to ten schools that you're a perfect fit for, but it doesn't matter if they don't see it. So I think a really important part of this process is taking a look at your personal statement, your, your work and activities entries and secondaries. And one thing I encourage students to do with it is to imagine that they belong to somebody else. Can they visualize that person? Who do they see doing these things? Is there enough details to see it? Because a lot of times when I ask students to do that as reapplicants, they're like, I don't even know who that person is. And that's a way for me to say, well, that's probably how those admissions officers felt. They didn't understand who that person was. And we need them to be able to see you. And they need to recognize that easily enough while also going through and looking at so many other applications. Yeah. So it has to be that much clearer. They're not just looking at one application and looking for Mm -hmm. who is underneath that writing. Yeah. So like I never pretend that this is an easy process Um, because I've like adopted this term that I call, you know, premature writing closure which is where when you've devoted something to paper, you're like willing to make small adjustments to oh, it, but you don't want to give up on anything more than topics. like five or 10 characters. I will give like mountains of feedback on a personal statement and it'll come back and it'll have like a couple words different here and there. And, and, and that's a problem. So the Kimberly spiel is this. You're way too attached to what's on this page. And rightfully rightfully so. You've put so much time and effort into it. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to delete it. Mm-hmm. I want you to open up a new document. And I want you to start writing. Mm-hmm. And I want you to really think about the purpose of what this writing is and all of our conversations. And then once there's something solid on the page, then you are allowed to go back to the old document. Mm-hmm. And if there are bits and pieces that you just feel fit into the new version really well they can come into it Mm -hmm. or what we do is we start crafting so that was version a and then we have version b Mm -hmm. our goal is version c which is somewhere between those two we don't need something completely new but we've got to be able to step away from Mm -hmm. the original Mm -hmm. and be kind of brave enough and original enough to create something fresh yeah one thing i will try sometimes with certain students that like struggle with like needing to have a final product all the time and I think that's part of why you're so unwilling to give up too much of your writing is like but this is a final product like this is submittable is to not start by writing a personal statement I tell them to just write these stories that are important to them make lists of the things that are important to them and find where there's really important connections between them Highlight your themes, mm-hmm. highlight recurring ideas and thoughts. Like yeah. it, it's like a working space. It's a sandbox. It's mm-hmm. like you could cut, like you could print all of this out and get a big mm-hmm. whiteboard in front of you and start pinning different ideas uh-huh. and add in <laughs> pictures and memories mm-hmm. and sounds and sensory and all of that stuff. 
with students that are having a tough time, if they meet with me in person, sometimes I'll diagram their go. personal statement and I'll show them where the connective tissue and threads are and the parts that look like they have nothing to do with any of the rest of it. And I, I share with them why that's hard as a reader because they're not remembering these other pieces of you because you haven't connected it. Mm -hmm. And if none of it feels like it's connected, you have an even bigger issue because nothing's memorable at that point. Right. You want everything to be sort of centrally connected to itself. And so, so that's why I like doing the diagramming because it's, it's, it's using their words, but I'm showing the physical, physically showing these conceptual relationships um, I'm thinking of a student that I think we both worked with uh, who just had the roughest time with writing. Writing was not their strength. And then I diagrammed their personal statement and it completely changed how they approached a lot of their writing and some of the takeaways in their next applications secondaries because they understood something that was really core and important to them regardless of what they did next. And we also have our students who are far more comfortable speaking than writing. Mm -hmm. And when I have a student like that, I am I will start transcribing as they're talking to me. Mm -hmm. And I will zip that their words, their own words back at them in a typed up document. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, listen, you said this. These are your words. When you read this, you're probably going to think it's somebody else. Mm -hmm. But this was you. You just don't know how to write this, but you know how to say it. A lot of times students are replicating things that they've heard, sentences that they've read, because there is sort of like this pre-established like language and academics. There's a way of speaking that feels academic. And it's hard to break yourself of that when all you write is lab reports and research papers. Yes. It, it, this is a different way of communicating yourself and your ideas. And there's less of that compulsion when it's the spoken word as opposed to the written word. So I think we should go back and circle around to like the core ideas of what a reapplication cycle is and looks like. Sure. I think probably the core idea that we had here is that it is an opportunity mm -hmm. for you to show continued growth and engagement mm -hmm. in an area that you have already identified in that original application as being really mm -hmm. important to you. So you're building upon what was there. Yeah. You're not just sitting and waiting to see what the result is. Yeah. I think it's sometimes students who just get better talking about it still don't find success because this is something that needs to be demonstrable. And I made a point of using that word because it's one of my favorite words once I heard it spoken aloud and not just written on a piece of paper. <laughs> but it is one thing to have been mentally enlightened by something that you've read, something that you've watched, and be able to talk the talk. The, the priority, I think, in a reapplicant cycle is that you can walk the walk in a really meaningful and profound way. So I think the other element is being open and receptive to feedback and reflection. Yeah. 
we're not trying to create the same thing again. This is yeah. something this is something new and different. Yeah. You're reapplying, but it's new and it's different each time. Yeah. And again, that's difficult. You've committed to something. You've submitted it. You've created that final product. And it's hard to say that that product doesn't work. You know, in marketing, if you put a product out to market that doesn't sell, lots of people get fired, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because it didn't work. It didn't serve the needs that it was supposed to for that end consumer. And now I don't think you should fire yourself, but (laughs) maybe you just need to um, re-employ certain parts of yourself to other parts of your application and newly hire some new pieces that have become more important, more skilled, that are more marketable to the right places. In some of my reapplicants, especially ones that do comprehensive review and they didn't do it before, I love sort of like saying like, this is what I got from your application. This is how you presented yourself. This is how you presented yourself in your interview. This is how I understand you. Which one is closer to the truth as you see it? It's almost always how they present themselves in the interview. But that makes it so clear to them because I like will bring up pieces of their application that led me to believe what my pre-established thoughts were. And it makes it easier for students to see, oh, that's how what I'm putting out there is coming across. And that's that can be very, very enlightening in a reapplication cycle. And I really think the last element here is just taking your time. Yeah, it is so... I I don't know if you hear this, but this is the thing that I hear all the time. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. That tells me something. It, that comes from a place of fear to me. It, well, it can mean That's, two things. That feels fearful to me. It can be fearful mm-hmm. because it's a vulnerable process. Mm-hmm. It can also be the truth coming out. Mm-hmm. Because it is so easy to go down a path that once felt right, but once you're committed and when you're a high achieving person and dedicated to checking off the boxes that you have set for Mm -hmm. yourself as goals to meet, it can be really hard to step back and take the time and evaluate whether or not that long-term goal actually still fits. It is. Which is an element of fear, right? Yeah, it's. I think so often people are like, this is what I've been telling people for years that I was going to do, who I was going to become. Mm-hmm. Who am I now? But who am I now? Does that, does that new goal still feel the same? And is this failure? Mm-hmm. No, 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 it's not. It's not. <laughs> Just to be clear. But, but let me, <laughs> I'm going to tell another student story. <laughs> I worked really hard with a student who really wanted it, I thought. And we worked really hard, like weekly, bi-weekly, for like a year and a half. And then they got an acceptance. And they were the dog that caught the car. And they didn't know what to do with it. They'd been chasing that car for years. I showed them how to catch the car. 
And then when they caught the car, they realized that that wasn't who they were anymore. Mm-hmm. But the process of getting there was consuming them so much. But a seed that I had planted in their head probably six months prior had also been growing at the same time. And now they're doing that other thing. What a relief. I know. So like they moved forward knowing, okay, I'm glad that this happened, but I know with full certainty that this is what I'm supposed to do now. The process also of getting to the point of applying is so rigorous and Mm -hmm. and gets you involved in so many different things. Like you do have options. Yeah. You're really well prepared for a lot of things. Um, but before we wrap up, I want you to go back to that idea of fear. Yeah. Because there are people who are still meant to pursue this path. Mm-hmm. But this idea, this fear that sneaks in is. Yeah. It, fear can either motivate you. It can either engage your flight response to where you're moving towards some or away from something, scares you away from it. Fear can also propel you towards something. And I think that what you are, how you respond to that fear is very important. And I know we're getting like very high level, very heady here. But your subconscious knows some things that you just don't sometimes. I was talking with a student about their concerns about not having enough experience for the upcoming application cycle, even though they feel that they're for the most part well prepared and they wanted my opinion about what to do next and secretly I'm like well my opinion doesn't really matter but I said that fear is coming from somewhere something is happening that's telling you to be concerned and to be fearful here and that fear is pushing you to something or away from something And so after like a a bit of conversation and we started talking about what gap years could look like, also what an upcoming cycle could look like. And I said, I want you to think about the things that we've talked about today and which ones were exciting to you and which ones filled you with dread. Because that is going to be telling you something very important that you need to be looking at. I have a feeling that student will be taking an extra gap year. Because they're not ready. And, you know, I think with most reapplicants, that's the place we would have liked them to have gotten to sooner, perhaps before spending thousands of dollars on an application. And what is ready for one student is not ready for another student. Agreed. That's why it's creeping into their mind is because they have not yet met the bar that they feel that they need to meet in order to be, quote unquote, worthy of an acceptance. Mm -hmm. That's going to be different for everybody. Yeah. Everybody is ready at a different time. Readiness looks different for everybody. Unprepared looks different for everybody. Some students with lots of wonderful shadowing opportunities that have had good clinical experiences may not be ready still for other reasons. Students with the best metrics, like we've talked about, sometimes they're just not ready. There's no secret sauce. You know, We've shared a lot of examples of, I think, what makes challenging reapplicants, what makes good reapplicants. There's no universal recipe for what this looks like. 
it's up to the students and honestly to us as well to figure out what that looks like for them. And we might not always agree, but I can guarantee you we'll always have what's best for you in mind. You know, we can't know you as well as you do know yourself. We can't know you as well as your family knows you, but we can understand what your application looks like, how that communicates to admissions officers and what the response may be to an applicant like you. We do our best. Yeah. And we do it pretty good. Yeah. Statistics is on our side with how well we do it. That is true. All right, folks. So I think it's time for us to wrap up this episode for our students who are reapplicants, are in a current cycle and are like, oh, I don't know. Or maybe you're like, maybe I should just mentally prepare myself for my worst case scenario. I hope this episode was helpful. I like working with reapplicants, particularly the reapplicants that are like ready, willing, and able to put in the work. A reminder that pre-health advising at Penn State is a lifetime service. We do not stop working with you just because you graduate. There is no expiration date on when you can do this. There's no expiration date on our services. We are here until you need us. And then gone when you get on to your next step. (laughs) But you should still talk to us. (laughs) So thank you all again. And we'll see you next time. The Pre-Health Podcast at Penn State is a production of Pre-Health Advising Office and the Eberly College of Science at Penn State. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during the podcast are those of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution or for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across our university system. Our intro music is This Science by Coma Media and our outro music is Screening, also by Coma Media.